Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And this is the second half of our talk on productivity. We talked about going from 2K to 10K with uh, Rachel Aaron last week and uh, gave some of our own tips. We're going to go into some, we're going to go into outlining today, uh, being efficient about editing. And Andrea is a fan of dictation, so we're going to kind of hand her the mic and <laughs> let her do some talking on dictation uh, later in the show. And these are all just kind of method, things that you can do to get the words down more quickly, to get the books polished and edited and polished more quickly, and to boost your productivity overall without sacrificing anything as far as quality goes. All right, since uh, we're actually recording these back-to-back, -back, so we're not going to pause and give you news or anything like that this week. We're just going to jump into the good stuff. I hope it's the good stuff. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about outlining first. And you, you, even if you're not an outliner, hopefully we'll have something for you here. Or if not, just skip forward to the dictating and uh, editing sections. Um, Andrea, do you want to start us off talking about kind of sort of pantsing versus outlining and what your thoughts are on that? Yeah. Um, so pantsing, and again, this podcast is probably going to be listened to by a lot of authors who already know what all this stuff is. But just in case we have people who don't, pantsing is, is when you right by the seat of your pants. So you don't, or writing into the dark, as Dean Wesley Smith calls it, you don't know exactly where you're going and that's how you thrive. And then outlining is where you put together an outline. So you know where you're going with each scene or with the book in general. And I'm definitely an outliner. I can't write unless I know where I'm going. And then once I know where I'm going, I fairly quickly uh, get a book finished. I am also an outliner. I didn't start out that way. I was pretty much a pantser for my first series. And I found that as a pantser, I would have to, it took me longer to edit because a lot of times I'd like realize I just, I'd have to delete a scene or write something new. I hadn't quite figured out the whole story ahead of time. And I ended up sort of writing myself in the corners more often. And part of that was just being more experienced. I certainly know plenty of super prolific, uh, authors with 50 books out that still pants it. So I'm not saying you have to be an outliner, but for me, I became a lot more efficient when I switched to outlining things first and especially knowing how the book was going to end before I got started. For me, that's, that's pretty important. Even when I occasionally, I'll just pant something if I'm just doing a novella or something short and I, I still have to know the ending. If I know the ending, I can find my way there. Um, but early on in my career, <laughs> before anything that has not, nothing that's been published now, but I'd get like 30, 40,000 words into a book and just kind of write myself in a corner and wander off and start something new because that was easier than figuring out how to get myself out of that corner. So for me, outlining is the way to go. And I find this especially true when, um, as somebody who kind of came out of epic fantasy and is doing, I don't know, epic space opera, we'll call that a thing right now, that I find the more complicated the story, the more point of view characters there are, and when I give somebody a point of view, they get their own storyline. They have their own agenda. They are making things happening. So I'll end up with like six, seven stories going on all at once within the bigger story. And I find for me, it's much harder to pants that kind of thing. I, an outline is super helpful. And sometimes I don't even look at the outline again after I do it. It's just the fact that I've figured it out in my head and, and written it down somewhere where I can reference if I need to uh, what basically what happens in the story. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts? Are you an uh, outliner too? Uh, I, I started off as a pantser as well. Uh, and I still pants. I, I have a Patreon and I do short stories for it. And those are typically pants and a weekend 
so it's still a part of my process. But I can't emphasize how, how important a good outline is. It's, it's not just knowing where you're going to be writing and like catching potential plot issues before they happen, which is enough. Even if that was all that happened was knowing where you're going and catching the plot issues. Uh, getting back into a scene or a story that you set aside for a while, just it's so useful for that. Like you get a much faster context. Uh, I don't know about other people, but when I'm, when I pick up a scene, especially if I like took a weekend off or something like that, and I need to get back to where I was, uh, or if I need to uh, get back to an old POV that I was writing earlier, if I can just go back and reread the outline portion for what that scene was, it's so much quicker uh, than, than having to reread, you know, three pages of material and reestablish context. And, uh, this small thing, but an important thing, if you are an outliner and you are going back and rereading your outline to reestablish context, if you make a change along the way, because I still pants a little bit within scenes. And if I come up with a better idea while I'm writing, then I'm going to change the story with to use the better idea, change the outline too. Cause I had a huge setback a while ago when I, when I wrote the next chunk of a story without having realized that I'd made a plot twist in the previous chunk and didn't put it into my outline. So my context didn't include it. So if you're going to outline, outline all the way or, or make the mistakes that I make. So um, one thing that I wanted to make a comment on about here is that we're all outliners. Um, the three of us, I thought that was kind of interesting and we're, we're fairly proficient at writing. Um, but we, there are a lot of very proficient authors out there who are not outliners. And I've, I have one friend who releases two books a month and she can't outline. She is definitely a pantser. And then I did mention Dean Wesley Smith earlier. He releases 12 large novels a year. Plus he does a monthly magazine full of just his stories and he is an outliner. So the most important thing is to basically find what works for you and become very good at it. And, um, a side note, I've, I'm not sure if anybody has heard this before, but if you outline, remember to focus on character growth because outliners tend to have characters who don't grow as well. And I'm not saying like outliners of 70 books. I'm saying outliners when they first start out, these are their weaknesses that they tend to have. And, um, new writers, yeah, their characters don't, don't grow as quickly or as well as a pantser's characters would because pantsers, they follow where the growth takes them. And then pantsers tend to have disappointing climaxes because they don't plan for it. They don't build, they don't build up to it very much. And their last battle and fight scenes are sometimes too short or they're not, they're like anticlimactic. And so it makes for emotionally dissatisfying endings. And so a good author will learn to recognize their weaknesses and will work on building them. And most experienced authors find that a bit of pantsing and a bit of outlining works well for them. And they don't always end up halfway between or one way or another. They, they blend all the different parts. That's an interesting point uh, as far as the outliners, maybe not outlining in the character growth. Uh, that probably depends on your style. Like I actually could see that because I'm very chronological. That's the way my brain works. I, I want to write down what happens and what happens next and then what happens next. I've heard different methods of outlining that might be more, uh, more towards the character growth. And, but that, I suppose that's kind of where I pants. Sometimes I'm, as I'm writing my thing that I've outlined is where I'm realizing like in my last one, it was kind of a father son estranged coming together, you know, working on their relationship. But I didn't know that when I got started that it was going to be their therapy book. I kind of found that along the way. So that, that's probably good to know and be aware of uh, whichever one you like to do. And, and you said Dean is not an outliner, right? Because I think I heard he is one. And <laughs> I no, know he's no, the he, right into the dark guy. <laughs> he, he makes, no, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Dean is funny. He's like, you outliners. Oh, you outliners. No, but he, he writes into the dark is what he calls it. 
Yeah, no, and I, it, it's probably worth trying both at some point in your writing career because you never know. Like I'm, I have reasons for doing it this way now, but like I said, I started out as more of a pantser, and there was a reason I <laughs> switched to this way. It's just more efficient for me, but that's not going to be true for everybody. And whichever one you choose and do, you'll get better at it too. It's just you know, you don't have to be married to one thing for the <laughs> the rest of your career, but um, you'll probably find that whatever you do the most, you'll get better at. All right. Uh, so let's talk about whether editing as you go, because we're uh, kind of transitioning and talking more, talk, talking about more efficient editing, because I feel like that's where a lot of the people get hung up. Uh, in the first show, we talked about like, how oh, this is how you get to 10,000 words a day. And I know writers who do that, and they still only put out a book a year. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> if you wrote the book in like two weeks, where are the books? So part of it too is figuring out how to become an efficient editor. And I guess we'll just kind of all talk about how we do it. I mean, there's kind of a two methods I would say is just, um, and I think this is Dean too, that talked about cycling, kind of writing, this is what you write today. And then tomorrow you start by editing what you wrote yesterday and then writing more today. And then by the end, uh, you know, having a clean manuscript. Um, that's not my method, but that's certainly a legitimate method if that works for you. Um, I think uh, the reason I'm not a super fan of that is what I do is I write everything. I just get it down, you know, write the rough draft. Um, like I, we would talk about being in a flow state and just not worrying about editing or anything until you get it down. Because for me, I often find that, like I said, I, if I'm figuring out the relationship between the characters, how they're going to grow by the end of the story, sometimes I'm halfway through before I realize that's the theme of the story. And I will then, when I make notes to myself, and like when I do my editing pass, I will go back and kind of put in some stuff in the beginning to set the foundation for that so that it's a gradual process over the book. Or I'll realize something, you know, in order for them to escape the bad guy's lair, I had to build the lair in this certain way that I did not do when I originally wrote it. So I'll make a note to myself as I'm editing, switch up the how the moon base is constructed so that we can sneak through the ducks and find the self-destruct button. No, wait, I'm thinking of Star Wars. Okay. Um, but anyway, so that's my way to do it. And I find that that's super efficient for me at this point. Uh, write the whole thing do one big editing pass. And I, like I said, if I have to make notes to myself, I will, that I address as I go through. And I think this is going to be most effective for people who uh, you've probably done several novels and your first drafts tend to be pretty close to what you want your final to be, such as if you outlined. Uh, now, if you're having to do massive rewrites on that editing pass, you're probably going to have to do another editing pass afterward. Um, but at that point, I send mine off to my beta readers, and they will catch usually little things. Like, I'm famous about, like, if two characters are flying in airplanes, they will swap which one is in which airplane <laughs> with which person during it. And I'm horrible in uh, sci-fi about uh, remembering when characters are wearing helmets. They're always, like, mopping their brow or uh, itching their nose <laughs> or something, scratching their nose. And my friend's like, oh, my God, you know these guys are still wearing helmets, right? There's no oxygen. <laughs> so those are the kind of things that my beta readers are great for. And then I will, so my last, it's not usually a whole editing pass. It's usually then I'm just kind of jumping to spots where they made a comment and adjusting something. And at that point, I send it off to my editor who is a, does the copy editing, you know, so she's not suggesting rewrites. So we usually get through pretty quickly. She's just kind of cleaning up any, any line issues that were dangling. And then at that point, I send it out to typo hunters. 
I'm just asking them, like, did you find typos? I didn't do this in my earlier first five years of my career. And I still get Amazon notifications from like, readers found a typo here. And I'm like, oh my God, that book's six years old and they're still finding stuff. So since I've uh, started with the typo hunters, it's a lot more. I get very few of those. So that's nice. I, of course, want to put out as clean of a product as I can. But um I, I kind of wandered off there and t told you guys way more than you wanted to know. I was supposed to be talking about cycling, but um, that is how I edit. Do you guys want to jump in on that before um, we talk about other stuff? Um, well, I'm, I'm broadly similar. Uh, beyond rereading the last few paragraphs uh, of what I wrote the previous day as a refresher, I typically go from beginning to end. and I don't go back to the beginning of the story uh, until I'm finished. So full revisions for me. And there's normally one full revision is just me and then the, the beta reader revision and then the you know line in it. So it's roughly the same across the board. Um, and likewise, the, the making notes of what I have to change rather than going back and changing them along the way is so much more important, uh, so much better for me because occasionally I change my mind. And if I go back and change something and then go back and change it again and then go back and change it again, the chances of me screwing something up, I refer to it as it's like when you're bending a paper clip, you can only bend it so many times before it breaks. I'm very mindful of how many revisions I can do before I feel like the thing is now structurally unsound. So I try to do full revisions and a relatively low number of them. Yeah, I'm kind of, um, well, okay. So back when I was typing, I was, I was like, Joe, I would go up and, and about a page, maybe not a page, about a half page, maybe three or four paragraphs and revise what I last written just to get me back into the flow of the scene. And it would usually take five or 10 minutes. I tried not to spend a whole ton of time on that bit. Be, that was me proficient typer me imp, when I was, starting out, I would revise what I wrote every single time the day before. And I just found that that it's just such a different part of the brain where it was so ineffective for me to edit. And then I'd have to switch tracks completely into creating new content. And now I'm a dictator. <laughs> Sorry, Beth. Only a dictator. You can see what she does behind the scenes of this podcast, guys. <laughs> yeah, that was an unintentional joke there. <laughs> um, it's helped me immensely, honestly. I don't have the option of going back to edit. And so I just, I will dictate and then I just go on and I'm, I'll like leave notes at the end of a session and say, hey, this is where I am and this is where, well, usually I have my outline. And so I'll just type in a little bit there or handwrite a little bit there saying, uh, this is where I ended. This is the emotion. And it's usually like 10 words of, a, of just a quick note to remind myself. And it did take me a little bit of time to get into that, being able to do that, you know, teach myself. and, but the good thing about dictating is you don't have to be at your computer. And so you won't see if you've got like a weird typo that you'll catch later on. And so it's helped me be more effective in that way. I think a good point on a thing that I was going to comment on and I forgot we got into dictators and, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you were mentioning being in a different state of mind when you're creating versus when you're editing. And I find that to be very true for myself. Like I'm really feeling the voice of the characters and I'm in the flow. I mentioned before that I kind of see it like a movie playing in my mind when I've got the creative juices flowing and I'm just writing without thinking about the words. And I tend to, when I'm back in my editing mode, and especially if you're jumping around, um, I think it's probably easier if you do just 
read straight through. Um, you're, you're in a more critical, you're like, oh, this ends in a preposition. Is it, I'm, am I breaking the rule today or am I just going to leave it as it is and, uh, or am I going to fix it? You know, you're in this more analytical thought process and I find that it can be a little bit of a challenge to get it right. When, if you, especially if you rewrite sentences, it might feel just a little different than the stuff around it that you wrote when you were in this different state of mind. So that's why I'm a big fan of uh, just get it all down first and then do the editing pass. And I, I used to see too in workshops where you'd see somebody would write the same first seven chapters and they'd share it and put it up and then they'd take them down and they edit them. And then the same seven chapters would come up again and that's just like the whole three years I was in the workshop, that's all I ever saw was like the first seven chapters of their book because they just get so caught up in the editing that um, they're just putting, you know, you're trying to make it perfect. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of uh, stuff out there on the problem with perfection is that you're trying to like, by making something so perfect, you kind of feel like this is, I'm armoring myself against any criticism. There cannot be any criticism because it's going to be flawless when it gets out there. But of course, that's not going to be true. Uh, so I think it's important to, it's okay to strive for something to be really excellent, but not get hung up on the fact that this has to be perfect. And I think if you're editing over and over again, that's, you may be hung up on that and you may be kind of hindering your potential there as far as finishing the novel and finishing a lot of novels in your career and saying all the things you want to say. So did you guys have any more on that before we, uh, you know, jump into, I guess we're just going to, I guess I wanted to make a note on like, if you have to do research, I know a lot of like, if you're doing maybe sci-fi if you're doing hard sci-fi especially that can uh, involve a lot of research or historical fiction where you you really need to get the details right or your readers are going to jump all over you my method for dealing with that is trying to do some groundwork ahead of time before i start writing the series uh, for my sci-fi series, I mean, I write space opera, so it's not super hard sci-fi for sure, but I try to at least get the physics somewhat right. Or if I'm breaking the rules, I'm saying like, yeah, we got wormhole gates. That's just how it is. We don't know if those are ever going to be possible. Probably not, but um, they're in my universe. So I, I listen to like a bunch of uh, sci-fi, like NASA has a podcast. So there's a bunch of really good ones out there for space stuff. And then futurism stuff can be helpful for, uh, you know, just because you're in space, you got to realize other things change to 200 years in the future, right? It's not just the physics that you have to worry about. So I tried to ground myself by listening to a bunch of podcasts and getting a feel for like, yeah, yeah, okay, so this is how X is going to work. And, you know, same thing if you're doing something like historical fiction, you know, maybe you can find some resources and, and read them ahead of time or podcasts are great. YouTube videos, it's amazing what you can find out there. And so you have this foundation so you're not having to stop a lot as you're writing your first draft. So that's another place where people get hung up. Like you go to research something on Google and suddenly it's two hours later and you're checking Facebook and you forgot you only wrote 75 words today. So I think if you can get that foundation in there and then I'll just make notes to myself. If there is something I need to look up, I, I, I put it in brackets. I'm like, uh, this, this BS science, you know, look this up or, you know, try to make it more plausible. Or even if there's like, I've forgotten the name of a character and it's not just over in my character thing, you know, or I, I'm going to have to go hunting for it. I'll just put it in brackets like name. And then um, I'll, when I edit is when I'll go in and uh, correct those little things. But if you get the foundation down ahead of time, you should be able to write most of the story uh, without having to stop and, and look up things. Do you guys have any thoughts on, do you do any research ahead of time? I, it depends a lot on genre too. If you're writing contemporary, 
mystery set in your own town, you probably know the area well enough, but you know, you may still have to do like research how the police station works. It, you know, most writers cannot just, uh, the really fast writers that are writing <laughs> book every month probably don't have to do any research, but we fully acknowledge that some genres are a little tougher with that than others. Uh, my process is again, pretty similar to yours. Nothing kills my momentum, like having to stop and look something up. So anything that I'm aware I'm going to need to know that's plot critical, I do all that up front. And I typically have, uh, separately from my outline, I have sort of a little plot Bible or like setting Bible usually, because most of my stuff is, is more specific to the setting. So again, I have a sci-fi thing and here's how we justify faster than light travel. Here's how money works. Here's how this works. That works. All the rest is the same. Uh, and that's not just useful for not having to do research, but also making sure that you're consistent with the stuff that you made up. Uh, and then if I, as I'm writing like the smaller stuff, the odds and ends, I typically don't sweat the small stuff too much up front because I don't know exactly what I'm going to need until I'm writing it. So likewise, in my case, it's three asterisks uh, with, with, a, with an all caps note in the middle. And then when the time comes to do an editing revision, I'll just search for the three asterisks and set them aside as a note thing and address all of them as I go. That's funny because we all have different ways to make notes for ourselves. <laughs> when I'm typing, like when I'm doing revisions, I'll put ZZZ <laughs> because I know ZZZ is never going to happen in my books. Or um, I'll put my own name, Andrea, because <laughs> I know I'm never going to have a character named Andrea. Um, for me, I do a little bit of, I do enough researching ahead of time to write the story. And I don't, I, I don't know, research is, is such a rabbit hole. I try to put it off as much as I can. And so I'll do as much to write the book. And then I don't allow myself to do hardly any while I'm actually reading or writing. Um, just very, 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 very little brief bits here and there. But then I do a lot of my research while I'm doing the revision process. And so my, my books tend to be, when it comes to the research, they're a little bit light when I write. And so that I don't, so that it doesn't affect the story and so that I can go in into the revision and add those details that do affect the story. I only research the stuff that I'm like, I can't actually write the book without it ahead of time. Um, but yeah, don't, don't research while you're writing. I think that's pretty much a no, no everywhere. Isn't it? I mean, yeah, that's, that's what I've always been told was that don't research when you're writing. For sure. <laughs> Even I'll even stop listening to the podcast and stuff because if I'm on book three halfway through it and they say something and I realize I've screwed up something as part of my world, I'm like, I don't want to know about it. After the series is published, I'll get the emails from the readers. Oh, you got this wrong and you got this. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll know for the next series. But, you know, at some point you just it's probably best to get the creative stuff done and worry about that later. You know, I, I like the podcasts, uh, you know, obviously with people who are qualified to it, like the NASA podcast, they have real astronauts and stuff. And, uh, you know, that way I can actually be listening to those while I'm still working on the last series. And it's not a whole lot of time away from my writing. It's the kind of thing I can just do while I'm walking. Like I said, while I'm walking the dogs, those dogs get so many walks. You guys know I have like three dogs, right? It's insane. One is a year and a half. She's, nuts. So I actually like that idea of listening to podcasts that relate. I mean, the only podcasts I listen to are author marketing ones, but that's a good idea. Listen to ones for researching purposes. A lot of things, just the things you're interested in too. Uh, maybe you, you're not thinking it's for writing. Like I listen to real estate ones and uh, I had a real estate developer character pop up and, you know, kind of let's talk about rent to value of ratios and it made it more authentic for that character, even though here's this sci-fi setting, but you know, and your own interests, bringing them into uh, maybe you're writing something kind of to market or, you know, it, 
it can be the kind of thing that makes your story stand out by just having, you know, I also listen to all the health stuff because I'm always looking to figure out my own mysteries. So I've actually had more sciencey health stuff probably than space stuff in my various uh, sci-fi series. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about dictation, and um, we're going to let Andrea do most of the talking. I think Joe and I have a few notes to lead things off. I say my experience, I, this is not something I do now. I, I had, was dealing with like RSI 15 years ago, and I was, it was super in pain, and I had to do it, so I kind of resent it now because it was this thing that I was so horrible, guys. I was still doing classes then, so I was, you know, I was trying to write a fantasy novel, and I found that the dictation, this was Dragon Naturally Speaking, and seriously, at least probably more than 15 years ago now. And I found it was really good at like the business kind of stuff. And I'd say like names of drugs and it would get it right, even though I couldn't pronounce them. Because anything with eight syllables, it has a good shot at like recognizing what that word, I think. Um, but it did a harder, it was harder with like fantasy characters and a lot of made up things. And um so I am not a super fan because I, I, and I was editing with it too. I think that's the part that I really hated. You're, you're like down five lines, you know, <laughs> and it was awful because I was just in so much pain at the time. And fortunately now I've kind of found, <laughs> gotten over that and, uh, you know, found that I had to get up, give up gluten and dairy and that sort of solved that problem anyway. But, um, so I came to not like it so much. I will say if you are going to give it a shot today, uh, you know, just find a good program. Don't try to use like your notes app on your phone. I think that's okay for, you know, getting ideas down for notes, but you know, something that you can actually train to your own voice and you can read the names of your characters that uh, otherwise it's going to mangle and put something you don't recognize down there. Um, Joe, did you want to give any thoughts on it before I, we're just going to kind of, Andrea is a pro on this. So uh, I do have a question, couple of questions. I'm going to interrupt you, Andy, or while you're talking, but um, go ahead, Joe. Um, just I've, I've bounced off of dictation a couple of times. Uh, I have a relatively recent copy of Dragon Naturally Speaking. I've discovered that I cannot dictate. I'm like, I only tried twice. And my main point here is that there's probably going to be a learning curve. Uh, we've spoken to people on the, on the, on the old podcast. We talked to people who dictate and I mentioned how I had a hard time with it. And they're like, how many times did you try? And I would say twice. Like, how long did it take you to type, Joe? Oh, a lot more than that. So you have to sort of expect to, to learn to do it. There's a learning curve, not just for the software, but for you. But in my case, I had a really hard time because it turns out I use the time it takes me to write the sentence to come up with what the sentence is going to be. So I'm very stuttery when I try to dictate. Uh, and also, I would run into like, oh, well, let me, let me try dictating this now. And I would try a new piece of software which again, learning curve for each piece of software. And I'd be like, okay, open, open quotation marks. And it just wouldn't have that, that in there. Like sometimes they add in quotation marks and stuff way late in the development of, of, uh, of uh, voice text. So I, it just wouldn't show up. And I'm like, okay, never going to use this and just move on. So I've had, uh, I've had a, a bad track record with dictation. I would really like to get good at it, but haven't gotten there yet. So I'm very interested in this section as well. Yeah, I love dictating. Um, I actually really like typing my books by hand. I type 150 words a minute and I just go, you know, but I broke my finger um, a while ago, like three or four years ago, and it took a really long time to heal just because I had torn ligaments and they were so small, it wasn't worth doing, doing surgery over. And so it still sometimes hurts for me to type. And so I still prefer dictating. And then honestly, with my kids, um, I've it's a lot easier for me to dictate around my kids because I'm able to do it while I'm wandering the house and taking care of the kids. Though I have to be careful now. My oldest is now 
she pays better attention to what mommy's saying. <laughs> so I can't do scary scenes. I mean, this last book with the torture scene in it, I was like, okay, I'm definitely doing that away from the kids. <laughs> I am curious, because uh, I found that same with writing. When I, when I have done managed to dictate while like on, on hikes, uh, I know Kevin J. Anderson has been on a bunch of podcasts and is famous for uh, hiking three hours in the Colorado Rockies and doing like three chapters while he's out there. Um, when I had one old slow dog, I could do this. <laughs> but now my three crazy dogs, I'm always like, get your butt back to the trail. Get back over here. Don't go by that barbed wire, you know. Uh, and, and then they'll be wrestling and knocking me on my butt. So there's just no calm, peaceful time for me to do it now out on walks. But um, I found that I could, but I had to have kind of a really uninterrupted you know, and it sounds like doing it around the house with the kids, do you find that you're able to keep your train of thought? Because I feel like it would be hard for me to, like, you can't see what you just wrote the last paragraph, right? You're doing it onto a recorder or something. So how do you keep your train of thought and just keep it going smoothly? So it's just, it's like learning. I mean, I, I had to, I just, I basically had to learn how to do it, but I tried to dictate in a place where I'm not going to be interrupted by the kids. And then, like I said earlier, I'll leave just jot a quick note down. It'll be like Abel's running and something just super easy like that. That'll help me. And then I just, I mean, my kids get yelled at. I mean, <laughs> when I'm going through my revisions, it's kind of entertaining because I've got all these little random comments about my kids and and they're not usually legible because it's, there's no punctuation in there. It's just a steady stream of get, get back upstairs. You know, mommy's talking her books right now. <laughs> and they're actually really good about, I, they know that I talk and she, my six-year-old says, I talk my books. So they know when I'm talking my books, they don't interrupt me. And if they do interrupt me, I, they get out really quickly. And so that's been helpful. If you, I know that Kevin, when he dictates on his hikes, he actually has a person who transcribes. So that person will remove any sort of, I don't think he takes animals with him, but it will remove anything that's not pertinent to the book. Um, but a lot of people talk about dictating. It's really great for people who aren't able to find an hour to sit down. So like I said, I, I do it around my kid's schedule and I dictate between one and 2,500, 1,500 words in 20 minute segments. So basically if you have questions that you'd like to learn how to be more productive with dictating, uh, send me an email. Um, but in short, use Dragon Naturally Speaking version 13 or better because the earlier versions just aren't that great. Version 15 is what I'm on and it's really good. Version 13 is also good, but make sure the one you get is labeled professional or premium. Otherwise, you won't be able to transcribe recordings. And transcribing recordings is really important for you if you don't want to be chained to your computer. And the problem with being chained to your computer is Dragon dict or transcribes slower than you go, and so it'll be delayed. And so a lot of people are tempted to read while it's going, and that can be really confusing. And so make sure that you're not somewhere where you can see it transcribing what you're saying. And um, for a handheld digital recorder, I use. Um, I'm, we're actually going to put all this in the show notes. So if you want to see what I use, I use a, a Sony digital voice recorder that costs about forty-five bu bucks, and then I use a Sony clip. It's like this. It's like a lapel mic. It was about $15. I don't use that as often anymore because I think, I think it's been um, swung into something one too many times by the kids or dropped by me one too many times. And so I usually just hold the digital recorder now. Um, but Joe was talking about stuttering. I, if you haven't noticed, I stutter you know, when I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say. And so dictating when I was revising my dictations, it was really difficult, but because I had a broken finger, I had no choice. I couldn't 
could not type by hand. And so what I ended up doing was I, I asked my readers for volunteers. I said, does anybody want to earn $50 a book and take my transcriptions and make it sound like English? You don't have to worry about messing the story up because it is my story. I know exactly how the story is supposed to go. You just go in there and remove any of my weird repeated words or anything like that. And I have a volunteer who does it. It takes her about 24 hours and she gets things back to me really quickly. It's just $50 a buck. She's read every single book I've written. And so she knows my character names. She knows what I'm saying, a word that's not showing up in the program. And she'll know what it is just because the frame of reference around it. And so that's really, really helped it. It makes it so my revision process is really quickly, really quick. And, um, that's a serious game changer. When it comes to like fantasy words, I know a lot of reader or authors who dictate, seriously dictate, will actually come up with a, a substitute name like sewer for some random space word or something, just something that's not going to take place in the book very often. And then they can do either search and replace or they'll know what it refers to as they're going along. Um, but if you're interested in learning how to dictate, join the group on Facebook. It's called Dragon Writers Authors Dictating. And there's a whole bunch of people in there that do dictate on a regular basis and they will help you get started. And like I said, you can send me an email if you have questions. So what I'm hearing is the secret is to have an assistant who does all the transcribing for you. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, like, you, I, yes, right there. You see, that was an example. I, I, when I'm trying to get words out, I do stutter a bit. And so she goes through and she just cleans it up for me. And it's, she, I don't know how she does it because to me it's the most painful thing in the world, but she loves it because she loves my books. And so that's been a game changer for me. Well, I wasn't doing it back in the stone age with a recorder. I was just sitting at my computer and that's like, actually you're so tense and stuff too, when you get frustrated and you're just chained to your computer. But uh, this was also when the days when you had your flip open phone and to text somebody, you had to hit three, three times to get the letter, whatever F. So uh, there, there really wasn't, I mean, I, it wasn't integrated in the way it is now. I, I assume you can also just have it dump into a file and edit yourself uh, if you don't want to, if you don't have somebody that you can. Yeah, you, you, it has like four different options. It can dump into a text file. It can dump into a word file. And so, I mean, that's, I still do that with my shorter stuff. I'll, you know, I'll have it dump it into a word document and then I go through and edit on my own. But I mean, it's got all sorts of things that, you know, all sorts of options for that. And I would never, I mean, listening to you talking about editing, oh my gosh, down five lines, I would, I would kill myself. <laughs> well, and that's how it was. Like if you can't use your hand, you know, oh, um, so that's part of why I have a hate relationship with it in memory. It's just, it's, a, I'm sure it's a lot better now. Um, and the point you make, I, I just want to touch on, cause I remember when Chris Fox put out his 5,000 words an hour book, I was like, what the heck? And he's like, Oh, I'm dictating it. Um, that you can't speak much faster. Do you find that you have a, you know, and I, I think I remember Kevin saying this as a pro that you have a different voice that it's uh, like, I use my $20 words for good or ill. That's my style, <laughs> but I wouldn't even be able to pronounce a lot of them if I was dictating. Do you find that you're a lot different uh, when you speak the story versus if you were typing the story? There, there are a few differences. Like I use the word somebody when I'm talking, but when I'm writing a book, I like the word someone. And so there's just, there's a few things here and there. Sometimes I'll have run on sentences and things like that, but it's, generally it's still me and none of my readers can even tell when I start dictating my books so that, you know, so it still is me and I don't put a whole ton of work into changing the actual prose. 
Yeah, it seems like, you, I mean, it would be like authentic to your voice, but I feel like my voice sounds pretty dumb and retarded most of the time when I talk, and like slightly more articulate when I type. I'm certainly still not uh, writing literature by any means, but um, no, and I, I imagine you could just keep by practice to get better at um, yeah, and getting your voice. It didn't take me that long to learn how to do it. Um, it was partially because I was under a deadline and I was going to get sued if I didn't finish the book on time. But with that chick, that chick, Heather is her name. <laughs> she's absolutely fantastic. I had to give her like 10 emails worth of disclaimers that said, this is so, it's, it was like burying my soul almost just because it's so un you know, unrefined. I mean, it's a rough draft and I don't, I don't ever use alpha readers because I'm like, that's my rough draft. You don't get to see it until I've done everything I can to fix it. And she's, she's absolutely fantastic about it. She's, she's wonderful. She, to her, it is a joy to do it because she loves seeing how the book went from what I dictated to the final product. Do you know how much it would cost for somebody that doesn't have like a super fan doing it? Like, would you say $50 a book? That's, that seems a little low um, for someone that's thinking about this and not, like what the going rate might be for transcribing just the raw, raw, yeah, raw audio stuttering. What, what is stuttering? I don't know anything about this stuttering. Yeah. And she, I mean, she just takes, she's not actually transcribing. She just takes what dragon does. Um, we'd have to ask Kevin, honestly, ask him how much, um, I do know that I, I have had a couple author friends who say they couldn't afford Dragon and Dragon goes between $99 and $300 depending on if you catch it on sale or not. And they actually had people in like the Philippines and India transcribing for them. And they were very happy with those transcri transcriptions and they were cheaper than, you know, having like, I'm sorry, an American or a European transcribe. Um, and so that's, I, I wouldn't know where to go to find that, but I know that that is a good option for somebody who does not want to use a program. Okay. And do you, yeah, I used to use Dragon Naturally Speaking. I'm sure it's a lot better. Do you know if there's still a Mac version? Because I thought I saw that they were going to stop supporting the Mac. They, they stopped supporting the Mac. The problem is their, their heart just wasn't in Mac. And the, the releases for Mac were never fully supported. They weren't proficient enough. But this is what I say. Those Mac people have Vellum. And so those PC people like me, we get to have Dragon. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to, you know, mention you've got some pros and cons listed down just for maybe people who haven't tried it yet. Go over those. Yeah. So pros, I'm not chained to any particular place or position. My mic can go everywhere with me. My kids don't care if I talk to myself. They think it's really funny. Um, and then also like the physical sides of things. I don't get carpal tunnel. I'm not sitting all day. I'm not, I don't get eye strain. And then I'm a fast talker. I don't, I'm, I try to slow down for the podcast, but when dictating, I'm faster at dictating than I am at typing. And then it's honestly, when I first started out, I was worried that the, the stories would not flow the way they do when you're typing. I was really worried about that. That's actually something a lot of people worry about. They're like, but my, my stories flow through my fingers. Well, that's called training. You've trained your fingers to know how, what your brain wants, but the stories flow from your brain. And all it does is all it takes is a little bit of retraining. And something that I found that helped me was um, I would print off pictures of like a mountain scenery that I wanted to describe. Like, a, I was like, hey, this looks exactly like that mountain scene from my book. And so I would describe what I was looking at. And that actually really helped me get past that. And then um, I can actually dictate 10,000 words, even up to 15,000 words a day without super fatigue. I couldn't do that when I was typing because you get physical fatigue, not just, um, not just 
uh, story fatigue, you know, brain fatigue. So those are the pros. Did you want me to go over cons a little bit? Sure. I am curious uh, as far as your voice, because I feel like when I go to conferences and stuff, I'm not much of a talker at home. You may have guessed other than yelling at the dogs to get back on the trail. Um, I feel like my voice would start to go after an hour. I know you mentioned you do like 20 minute uh, chunks. Is that just necessary or does your voice hold up pretty good? Um, I do 20 minute chunks just because I found that that's, that's about as much as I can handle. Um, not just voice wise, but just, I need to take a break at that point. A lot of authors, that's how much they would type in 40 minutes to an hour. And so it's just a natural breaking point for my brain. Um, but also, I mean, I graduated in speech language pathology, so I'm really, really careful with my voice. And there was a time when I, again, under a huge deadline, I, I got a sore throat and I had to dictate a book. And this was again around the time, I think this was actually around the time when I had my broken finger. So I had no choice. I had to dictate. I ended up going to see a, a, a speech language pathologist. I mean, that's my major, but I don't, prof, you know, I don't actually profess it, profess, practice it. <laughs> that's the word. I don't practice it. And so she told me, she's like, there's absolutely no reason why you can't talk several hours a day. She's like, look at school teachers. That's what they do. They talk. And so you, you build up to it. And so when I'm first starting to dictate a book, I don't dictate every single day. That's I'm a binge project person. I would probably write more books faster if I did write every day. But I found that if I start out with a 2,000 word day and then a 3,000 word day, I can gradually get up to you know those higher numbers like 10 to 15,000. Nowadays, I just focus on 5,000 words a day just because I know I can hit that every single day. And that helps me you know, with everything. Very good. Uh, I'm still not going to try it, but um, <clears throat> I hope that it'll be helpful for those people who are interested in it. And if you have any kind of repetitive stress injury in your hands, it's probably worth taking the time to train the software and just say, like, it's going to be easier on your body this way if you can do both. And, and you don't need to. I mean, you're already productive enough. I mean, I don't think we need a world where Lindsay is writing three times as much as she is now. <laughs> your readers would disagree. <laughs> Well, and that, but then, you know, it'd be something I would look forward to look towards if I did have some hand injury or something, if yeah. once the dogs take me out on the trail and I can't use my, I break my left wrist or something, then I'll be like, let me go back to that dictation episode and figure yeah, out. No, dictating is, is great. If you're like in a situation with me where you only have 20 minutes here and there, you know, and it, so people who have kids, it's really fantastic for them. All right, Joe, did you want to chime in at all uh, before we, Stephanie does the cons and then we're getting close to the end here for people. Um, just one, one thing. And I, this is more a question of whether or not this is unique to me or if everybody has this problem. I have often had a profound problem with hearing my stuff spoken out loud. Like I had to proof listen to an audiobook and it made me like sick to my stomach. I just, for some reason, hearing someone else read my words makes me uncomfortable. And do you find like that, that, uh, I don't know. Do you ever feel embarrassed about having to put to words some of the stuff that you're saying? Because it looks fine on page for me and it looks fine in my head. But when I hear it, I, I get this weird anxiety. Um, I think in the beginning, that was more of a problem than it is now. Um, I don't have to listen to the recordings. So I just, it just uploads to Dragon and transcribes. That helps a lot. But a lot of people, um, and a lot of reason why some people struggle with it is because a lot of authors are introverts and I'm, I've got, you know, 10 years of stage experience, 15 years of stage experience. And so I'm used to performing. And so it was like, it's just a switch in my brain. It was like, I'm on a stage and I just had to get used to that. And now it's just second nature. So I don't even think about it anymore. 
I know what you're saying, Joe. I think you just get used to it if you're actually, like Stephanie said, she's not listening to her own voice, but like I never go back and listen to our old podcasts. I'm like, oh man, that was like a great show on by Domino Finn on Urban Fantasy. I'm going to write Urban Fantasy, so I should go listen to that. And I'm like, oh, but I'd have to hear myself asking the questions and that's so painful. But uh, yeah, if it's just dumping it into words for you, it's not like you have to listen to your voice. So should be okay. Uh, did you want to wrap up with some of the cons? Um, there's only like a couple of cons. These are cons to me. I, we've already talked about cons for you guys. So, you know, like it's painful. I mean, it really is going to be painful. There are some people who will never, ever be able to dictate. And that's, that's totally fine. I'm not one of those people who's like, you absolutely have to dictate or you will never, you know, succeed. Um, I just say the mental barrier that a lot of people talk about, you know, how, how stories come from your brains and not from your fingers and then voice strain. Those are the things to me that for me particular or specifically, I have to actually focus on. I, I think it was, it's interesting to me that you said you don't get tired from speaking into the <laughs> making the recording. Whereas I'm exhausted after like doing a podcast where I'm talking for an hour or something. Whereas if I'm just writing, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm all by myself. I'm in my world, <laughs> you know, like that to me, that's not tiring. So maybe, it's a little bit extrovert, introvert too, or where you, what makes you tired? Um, and I guess if you're just talking to your microphone, it's not quite the same as interacting with people and trying to be cool. I mean, you still have to be coherent, but feeling that you have to give them their money's worth, <laughs> at least, you know, you're going to edit it later with that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do get, there is that exhaustion, but it happens I mean, it happens after about an hour for me. I can't really dictate more than that. But then again, an hour can produce between five and 15,000 words. And so by that point, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't matter anymore. I've, I've done as much as I need to during the day. And like I said, I do it in 20 minute breaks. And so a 20 minute, I do a 20 minute section and then I'll take a break for five, 10, 15, two hours. You know, I have to feed the kids. So, um, and then I'll get back to, um, back to dictating after I've had a break. I think your kids are more work than my dogs. I don't know. I only have to feed my dogs twice a day. Your kids sound like they need to eat like every hour. <laughs> they, they eat like, oh my gosh, we, our oldest is a grazer. She'll eat like 10 times throughout the day. I'm like, seriously, three meals. That's all you get. <laughs> all right. So we, today we covered the outlining for those that are interested in doing it and also you know, trying to get more efficient with your editing. And boy, if you can knock out 5,000 words an hour dictating or even more, Andrea talks fast. So she can, she's like 10,000 words easy. You know, these are some ways that hopefully we've given you a few ideas that maybe you can uh, use something to, you know, become a little more productive if that's your goal, if you're, you know, not happy with your current uh, publishing schedule and how fast you're getting the books together. Uh, hopefully something here will be helpful. If you have any other tips that you found, you know, feel free to come by the, I guess, to the website would be the best place, sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. You can leave a comment on this show. I believe we're episode 10 here. And let us know if there's something you found that's really helped with your productivity. Uh, we'd be happy to hear about it. And I don't know, we can talk about it on the show if somebody actually comes to the site and leaves a comment. <laughs> we have had a couple. We're brand new though, so uh, uh, we're still being found. And we do appreciate all of you who have kind of seen us tweeting and stuff and shared the show out there. It's, you know, there's a lot of writing podcasts, a lot of even marketing podcasts now, and uh, it's hard to get a new one off the ground. So we are hopeful that uh, more than seven people a week will find us useful. 
And I guess I'll just uh, wrap it up by saying thank you for listening. And we'd also like to thank uh, Joshua Pearson for helping us produce the show and Stephanie Nealon for putting together the show notes. If you get a chance to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. Since, as I said, we are pretty new. And come on by and leave a comment or question on the website if you would like to. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. So long, everybody.